Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Life Happens Radio. Are you prepared? We are getting prepared for the holidays. Everyone is looking at Black Friday yesterday in the rearview mirror now, and we are headed full speed down that highway to holiday time. Today is Small Business Saturday. So people are out there shopping and hopefully supporting our local economies. So important to keep our local economy strong and to have the people that are putting themselves out there and running those small businesses stay vibrant. Not always easy. And it's very difficult sometimes to keep all the balls in the air, trying to be a small business owner, trying to balance your work life, your home life, dedicating all the time that's necessary to make a small business a success, and then trying to get skilled at things like managing people and HR issues and running a budget and doing a profit and loss statement and a balance sheet, and then looking at whatever your business is, the substance of it, and being an expert in that. And most people are expert in their business, but very rarely are they expert at working on their business. So today, we're very happy on Life Happens Radio to have a very special guest, and that is Teresa Skane. Good morning, Teresa. Good morning. Teresa is an attorney who has been working in the business arena for, well, you tell our listeners. Well, 21, 22 years now. I've okay. been a lawyer uh, in the corporate and commercial real estate and banking arena. And you've been with a number of different law firms. Uh, actually. Or actually just one. One that changed its name a number of times, but ah, only one. <laughs> interesting. Kind of like a bank. Just kept exactly. morphing into a different firm. Exactly. But now you're part of the Piero, Connor, and Strauss team. Yes. And we're thrilled to have you working with our business clients. And it is so important for us because we do estate planning and elder law. And very often we would get questions. What do I do in this situation in terms of the structure of my business? How should I be set up? in my business? How do I run this? How do I make sure that I'm dotting the I's, crossing the T's, taking care of all the business fundamentals? And so, Teresa, you've been working with our clients now for a um, little over a year? Almost two. Almost two years. How yes, time flies. Time flies. And uh, so talk a little bit about the business climate and also how you have gotten started counseling small businesses and what it is that you have been doing with them. It, speaking of the business climate, it's interesting as time goes on because different regulations around HR that you mentioned, around um, industry-specific regulations, require small business owners to really know more than they used to have to. And so it's important to have uh, consultants and counselors by your side through the whole business planning um, process. So uh, a lot of your clients, Lou, are sophisticated business people in their businesses, like you mentioned. Right. They know how to run their business. Okay. Take me, for example. Okay. I always <laughs> like to use me, for example. It's all about me. No. But <laughs> I, I run a small business. You do. You do. We have a law firm. You do. And we have now 24 employees. Right. In the law firm. So that means every two weeks we have a payroll, we have employee issues, we have HR issues. So we have had an HR consultant 
Correct. Um, we have had a business consultant. We have a CPA firm that works on our tax side. We're lawyers. Right. What do we know about that stuff? <laughs> you don't. You don't. You just don't. <laughs> you don't. And and the old saying that the, the cobbler's children go shoeless, right? Mm-hmm. Many lawyers don't have the basic documents around their business or in their life that they need. You know, from my perspective, when I came in, your operating agreement for your firm probably wasn't up to date. Um, you know, things like your agreements, employment agreements with your lawyer employees. Yeah, a lot of firms don't have those. Exactly. We're, we're still kind of getting settled into that. <laughs> right, right. So those are the things you kind of put on the back burner because you're running your business. Well, I have other clients that have needs. Yes. And and yes. we're working, you know, working till eight, nine o'clock and we're doing things for clients. And it's always a, a planning phase, but we do crisis planning as well. So mm. those needs just come and, and you can't really say, oh, I'll get to that next week because it's an urgency. There's an urgency to it. So you're right. All of the personal things, all of the things about your own business. And right. this isn't exclusive to lawyers. No, any no, means. no, <laughs> no. This is almost every business owner I've ever met. Right. Your brain is thinking about the next sale. The expansion of the business, the next hire, the next product that you're going to launch. Yes. And that's what you focus on. Yes. And to that point, it, that is what business owners should be focused on. But sometimes it's helpful to have those consultants come in when you're thinking about doing the next expansion, maybe an acquisition, maybe a, a big sale. What do I need? Do I need a bank loan? Do I need to increase the number of shares in my company so that my son can own a piece? Mm-hmm. Before before you get to, I want to actually do this, it's important to talk to people when you're thinking about it so that we can help you plan to get there the right way. And so I'm going to throw a phone number out there for you all to call us. And we're going to have the phone lines open throughout the show. We'll be talking about businesses, how to form a business, start it how to run it, what some of the business issues are that you need to be thinking about. And you can call us here live. Zach's waiting to take calls at 800-TALK-WGY. That's 800-825-5949. Again, 800-TALK-WGY. If you have a question for Teresa Skane or myself, Lou Pirro, your host for today, give us a call. We'd love to talk to you. And Teresa, let's take it back a step and, and go right to the origins of a business what are some of the ways that people can get organized? You know, some of the some of the businesses that are not small started in the garage. Mm, you know, with Microsoft <laughs> with with their computer in the garage, and That's they were programming true. out there, and that grew. And Apple was kind of a similar story. So, if people have this idea or this product, what's their first thought? What should they be thinking about at the ground level to get started in business? The first uh, really important piece is to have sort of a separate identity for the business. So, and that that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to become an LLC or a corporation. You can be a sole proprietor. You can file what's called an assumed name certificate. Most of us know that as a DBA um, to use a different name than your own name. And that allows you to create a separate bank account. Mm-hmm. You can have a separate tax ID number if you'd like. A doing business as. A doing business as, exactly. And having sort of a separate identity for the business outside of your personal identity. When would you take it up to that notch? When would you want to form a limited liability company or a corporation? And why would you take it up? Other, rather than just running it as a sole proprietorship. Sure. And, and I would say it's probably... 
important to do er, uh, earlier than most people think they need to do it. The, the main reason we form LLCs and corporations is for uh, protection, liability protection purposes. So if you're even if you're running a business out of your house and you're selling things that you have knitted and you're selling them on Etsy, um, if something happens with your product and causes harm to someone, and they sue you, if you don't have an LLC or a corporation, they can attach all of your personal assets. If you have a separate identity, if you have a separate entity for your business, then you have a little bit of protection from that liability. Obviously, as the business grows and becomes more profitable and you're making bigger and better things or, or using your time differently, that protection becomes even more important. Yeah, and even the simplest business can be risky business if you have people coming on your premises, sure, they sure. can slip and fall. Absolutely. And you want to make sure you have separation between your personal assets, those things that you're counting on in your retirement, and the business assets. Correct. Insurance only goes so far, so <laughs> that's yep. correct. And a lot of clients tell me, well, I have an umbrella policy. Right. And that also only goes so far, and it only covers certain things. Right, right, right. Some, some strict homeowners... Insurance policies will carve out activities that you're doing as a business, and a lot of people don't realize that. So it is important to have that separate identity for your business activities and, quite honestly, a separate insurance policy. So how hard is it to form a corporation or an LLC? I hear advertisements. You can do it online. <laughs> I, I, you know, you can do it online. <laughs> take, take that for what it's worth. There's risk to everything, and, and if you want to do this, get a professional to yeah. help you with it. Yeah, I'll tell you a quick story of the online. I had a woman call me who had uh, f was ready to form her LLC on LegalZoom, and she asked me to look at the documents that she had prepared on LegalZoom, and she was doing some things. She was house flipping, and she wanted to use the word finance in her uh, name, and LegalZoom told her, go ahead, you can do it. And while well, in New York State, you can't use that word in your name. So she would have been denied. You know, She would not have really understood why. So that's the sort of the perils of doing it online. And there are more perils. And there it, are. It gets deeper than there that. Are. And I have clients call up our office and they say, oh, I just, you know, I just did my will. I used Susie Orman's living trust kit or, or right. I went online and did it on LegalZoom. I just want you to review it. So it, you know, it shouldn't take you more than half an hour. But the truth is, I have to charge more to review that document than to draft one myself. Right. Because you have to analyze language that you're not familiar with. Right, right. And every word matters. It does matter. It does. And, and it's similar with wills, operating agreements for LLCs, uh, bylaws and shareholder agreements for corporations. There are certain things that really need to be in those documents that if, you know, like you said, if we're reviewing them, we have to make sure they're there. We have to read every word to make sure that they match. So it is it is a little more difficult that way. For us to form an LLC or corporation is fairly quick and painless. It mm -hmm. takes about three days. So, you know, it's not a long process. The, the operating agreements, the buy-sell agreements, those are a little bit longer. Those are case-specific. But to get up and running is a three-day process and under $1,000. So we're going to come back and talk about the next steps. Once you have incorporated or formed your limited liability company or a partnership, what should you be looking at? What are the things that business owners run afoul of that, that make it really, really difficult later on in the business? And we'll talk about some examples that we've been working with a number of local businesses, and it's really fun. I, I enjoy it tremendously. 
uh, and and we we have great interactions. We have great plans. We'll talk about some of those throughout the rest of the show for some of the local companies that have been very successful locally. And if you have a question, again, give us a call. We're at Talk WGY eight hundred Talk WGY. That is eight hundred eight two five. 5949. Love to hear from you today on Small Business Saturday. This is Lou Piro live in studio with Teresa Skane, and we are going to be right back. You're listening to Talk Radio WGY, 810 AM and 1031 FM. We'll be right back. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Chilly today, but we'll take the song. Thanks. <laughs> You're listening to Life Happens Radio. Be prepared. And today we're talking about businesses. I just want to take a, a brief moment to give you some of our upcoming educational programs. And if you're a listener of the show, you know that we we very much value education. And we think that the best clients are educated clients. So we love for you to come to our workshops. And the next one is actually coming right up this Wednesday, December 4th. It's at 5.30 p.m. By then, the, the plows should be clearing the roads, and we should be able to get around after the big snowstorm that's coming in. But it's the Trust Administration Workshop, and this has been a very, very popular workshop for us, and I think we have one or two seats left. We're at about 50 people, and that's about what Skylar Meadows holds, and that's where it's going to be. Skylar Meadows Country Club, a wonderful setting. There'll be some refreshments there Wednesday, December 4th at 5.30 p.m. That's the Trust Administration Workshop. We have CPA David Wojcicki, who does a lot of small business work with his clients, and Aaron Connor and myself, and we would love to see you there. Again, you can sign up for the Trust Administration Workshop on our website. All of our seminars and our workshops are there at purolaw.com. Events, go to the Events tab. You can sign up for the December 4th, 5.30 p.m. Trust Administration Workshop. And if you do get snowed in, we're going to be doing a webinar. How's that? You can do it right in your kitchen or in the front of the fireplace, log on on your computer. And these are Medicaid Monday. So if you want to learn more in-depth information about Medicaid, our next Medicaid Monday is a week from this Monday, December 9th. 
and we're going to be talking about assisted living and the assisted living programs that are available in New York State, including a very little-known Medicaid assisted living program. So that's Medicaid Monday, noon on December 9th. And again, you can email us at info at purolaw.com, or you can go right on our website at purolaw.com events, or you can call the hotline. We have a seminar hotline. Did you know that, Teresa? I did not. There you go. We have a seminar <laughs> hotline at 518-608-6998. Again, 518-608-6998. Not to be confused with the number that you can call us at right now. Pick up your phone. You want to form a business? You have a business? You have business questions? 800-825-5949. So we were talking, Teresa, about forming a business getting established, pretty easy to do the basic level. Right. But I just met with one of our clients who will be nameless. So we'll try not to, although if we said any of the names or told what they did, they'd be pretty easily identifiable. But this is a family business. And there are four brothers and a brother-in-law in the business, and they've been operating for many, many years. And they just kept layering on. And they're very successful at what they do. But their business just kept growing and growing. And then they had offshoots. And one brother would be doing something on his own. And they'd have a partnership with just two of the brothers. And then four of them had the main business. And then there's a fifth brother. The, the other brother had a piece of the business. So <laughs> we've been sorting this out. And they're really, really lucky that they have an in-house person who has been able to keep all of this relatively well organized. Right. But it's 20 entities at that point. Right. And now we're going back and going through them all and figuring out what are the agreements? What do the agreements say? And they're all different. And it's so common when you have businesses that just keep growing. Oh, form another corporation. Oh, form another LLC. But they never tie it together. Right. And so what are what are we doing with these people to try to keep them organized? Yes. Yeah, so a couple of things. One is, as you mentioned, their in-house person has been very good at not only staying organized, but making sure as they buy properties, those properties are titled in the name of the business. Mm -hmm. Getting back to what we said before. Or a business. Or if a you want business. Separation. Exactly. Getting back to what we said before about keeping personal separate from, from uh, business, making sure that if a piece of property is purchased or a piece of equipment or whatever it is that's used in the business, that gets put into an entity. So that's sort of the first, the first uh, step. Um, secondly, as you said, a lot of this particular client's agreements are different, and that's because they're going so fast, they're either using an old one and trying to change it, or they're just coming up with, you know, a three-page, well, here's how we'll divvy up the money and we'll go from there. And I can't emphasize this enough. In every, any area, whether we're analyzing a will or a trust or an insurance policy or a business agreement, words matter absolutely language matters court cases turn on one word so often right that's inserted and people think it's something else and all of a sudden there it is right and and so how do you know whether it's all coordinated or right there's only one way to do that absolutely and that's to read everything that is out there <laughs> and you know change what we need to change and really scrap and do over what needs to be scrapped and done over um, so that's that sort of step two is making sure the agreements have all of the provisions they need. The, the most clients know they need to look at who can vote on what 
and how they divvy up the profits and losses. But there are a lot of other things that these agreements should really speak to. What happens if you can't agree? So we call that a deadlock. Mm -hmm. uh, what happens if one of the one or more of the people dies, becomes disabled, gets uh, gets divorced, wants to retire, just the wants to stop? Events. The events, exactly. So the people don't like to think about those things. And then my favorite is always the bad boy acts. Yes. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> they, yes. They actually have in these contracts the, the bad boy acts. And, they and do. what are some of those? They do. Well, you know, what you would think of, you know, being convicted of a felony, um, you know, embezzlement, um, you know, uh, doing uh, doing I think the language is um, acting in a way that is malicious and harmful to the to the business of the company and and that can take a lot of different uh, a lot of different uh, ways to be, look at it but they're all the things that you would think of and, and committing the crime is probably the the most common of those things so all, you know your agreements should really talk to all those different points um, and then sort of the biggest one that nobody wants to deal with, but it's really important, is how you're valuing your company. Yeah. And nobody wants to deal with it. But when the time comes that someone, one of these acts happens, somebody wants to retire, somebody becomes disabled, someone gets divorced, and you don't have a valuation, it just creates a little bit of chaos. And when you say deal with it, what you really mean is pay for it. <laughs> because <true. laughs> to get a true valuation, yes. someone has to come in with an expertise in valuing businesses. Right. And they have to go through all of the books, several years of financials, profit and loss statements, the balance sheet, look at the performance of the company, the trends in the industry, and put all of those things together. What's the goodwill of the company? Um, are there discounts for things like lack of control in those interests? Right. And are there key key people in the business that if they were not there, the business would tank? So you have to factor that into value as well. So a lot of a lot of nuanced factors go into that valuation. Right. Yet every business owner says, "Well, I know what my business is worth. I've been <laughs> doing it for forty years." Right, right. And and where most people run into that issue, even beyond a, a sale of a of a interest in the business or somebody dying or whatever is if you if you try to um, borrow money mm -hmm. and your bank's going to say we need the valuation of your company and they're not going to go on what the business owner tells them his company is worth uh, they're going to want an independent valuation as well right whether so, it's for transfer purposes right. shareholder purposes or IRS purposes true because we do a lot of gift tax and estate tax work right and when you do a gift tax return you're, you're transferring the business intra-family you have to substantiate the values and some of these are big discounts that are Absolutely. taken and the irs is examining those gift tax returns now on a regular basis they didn't for probably 10 years we had a hiatus where we could file gift tax returns and, and they weren't looked at right but now almost everyone and, and the year that they're auditing right now is 2016. okay so we're going through this but if you have the right documentation and you've used the right valuation expert, right. your opinion of that value is gonna hold up. Absolutely. And that's really the key. Absolutely. So where does that value play in? Where are some of the spots that that will play in? Well, as we said, you know, it, it, the sort of most common that people will uh, encounter is if you need financing. So the valuation of your business, if you're using your business as collateral, will absolutely matter if you're looking for financing. Some, some of the other places are, um, you know, a lot of loose clients are looking to uh, bring children into their business and want mm -hmm. to give them pieces of the business. 
Well, in order to do that, whether they're whether it's a gift or whether the kids are purchasing, we need to know what the value of those interests are. So again, if you're thinking of a business or think maybe someday or you have a business, stay with us. We have another half a show to go and we're going to be talking about the corporate book, the records that you should be keeping and how business succession does take place. What's out there in the market right now. You're listening to Life Happens Radio. I'm Lou Piero, your host for today. We're going to take a short break for the news. Stay with us. We will be right back. Radio. I'm Lou Piero, your host for this morning from Piero, Connor, and Strauss, and also from Piero, Connor, and Strauss with me today live in studio is Teresa Skane with over 20 years of corporate and business experience representing clients throughout the Capital District and beyond. We have clients down on Long Island, down in New York City, and we're doing some interesting work all around the state of New York primarily, uh, and it's really fun. It really is interesting work. And you can call us again if you want to get a question in free legal advice. I mean, how, how can you go wrong? So give us a call, 800-TALK-WGY. That's 800-825-5949. And Teresa, when we're talking about businesses, there are fundamental documents. And I've been practicing law now 36 plus years. And every business owner that comes in, I say, okay, and oh, so you have a corporation. I see that you formed it about 30 years ago. Can you bring me the corporate book? And they look at me like I have three heads. What What are you talking about? Corporate book. What is that? You know, does my accountant have that? Right. I said, mm, probably not. Right. Hopefully. But. <laughs> Hopefully, but doubtful. The corporate book is the, a fundamental document. They used to call it the Black Beauty. It was a kit right. that you got with a corporate seal right. and, and the other things. But so many business owners don't have that. Right. Oh, well, my lawyer died. <laughs> from the corporation. I think it was in his office. Where does that go? Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. And we get that question a lot. Where does that go? And, And the answer is in the trash, usually. Usually. And then you have to try to recreate it. But what is that? What is a corporate book and why do you need it? Well, you know, like you said, it used to be called a black beauty. It was basically a notebook, a three-ring binder that kept all of your corporate documents. So your, if you're a corporation, your certificate of incorporation, your bylaws, and sort of most importantly, um, the minutes of all of the meetings that you have. So that's another thing most corporate, small business corporate owners don't do is have annual meetings, mm-hmm. and that's required by New York State. 
Um, so, so all of your meeting minutes are supposed to be in your book. And so then you're I'm going to tell a little story. Yes, go ahead. Because I started my career not as a trust in estates or elder law attorney, which I've been for about 30 years, but I did the first six years in litigation. And I did civil litigation primarily, and we were defense firm. I worked for a local firm here, Pentec, Brown, and Tobin. And that's where I started my career in Albany. And we would represent corporations. And they had something called dram shop liability, which if you know the dram shop rules, it was a, for liquor. Right. And people would get intoxicated, go out, hurt someone or kill someone, and then they would sue the bar that served them the alcohol. And so you had to do defense. And the first thing that the plaintiff's attorney would ask for is your corporate book with your minutes and, and records for the last 10, 12 years. Right. And there were none. Right. So, and I'm going to tell, tell a tale out of school here. The firm would keep firm stationery in boxes for each year that the firm was in business. And they would use the old stationery who was in the firm at the time because mm -hmm. you have the attorneys on the letterhead sure. to go back and do past year's minutes right. prior, prior to trial. Right. And it wasn't ethical right. or legal. <laughs> and you don't want to be in that position where right. you're typing out 20 years of, of corporate of documents and minutes right. on the eve of trial. Mm. But the concept is that if you don't maintain your entity, they call it piercing the corporate veil. Exactly. So how does that work? Exactly. So again, we talked before about keeping uh, personal and business separate. Part of keeping business separate is keeping a record of what you're doing in your business. So as I said, New York State requires an annual meeting for corporations and for limited liability companies, quite honestly, but also other large um, decisions that are made by your board of directors or by your shareholders for your company are supposed to be recorded. Mm -hmm. and kept in minutes or kept in what is called a unanimous written consent, which is if you don't have time for a meeting, but you have a big decision, you you circulate a piece of paper that has a resolution that says, yep. here's what we're going to do, and everybody signs it. Corporate resolutions. Exactly. Yep. And they need to go in the corporate book because that's a record of who is making the decisions on behalf of your corporation, who is authorizing certain actions, and it just keeps it um, so you, everything that you're doing is recorded. We have a call. Bill in Gilderland. Good morning, Bill. How can we help you on Life Happens this morning? Uh, good morning, Luke. Good morning, Teresa. Good morning. Uh, I have a uh, couple of pieces of property that I've been thinking should not be titled uh, in Stanley a personal name. And uh, one is a you now 60-year-old ranch house near uh, K-5 Elementary School in Guildwood, and it always is rented, uh, still with everything becomes on my taxes a, a money loser, uh, but eventually I think uh, I'll recover my investment and the tax loss carry forwards. That's both in the wife and my name. I have two other pieces of land, one that's in the Homeowners Association development uh, near tennis courts. Uh, we're not allowed to put fences up, so people could wander from the playground tennis court park area into the lot and wondering if that should be titled outside of my personal name. And one that's in the Mohawk Valley, seven acres of farmland that I let the neighboring farmer use just to make sure it doesn't get overgrown. Uh, both those two properties are titled in just my name. Was Good. the one near the tennis uh, court a rental as well, or was that a personal use? Uh, the, the, the rental house, I don't use it at all. That's, that's, uh, I always rent it out. If, if one family moves, another family wants to send their kids to school, normally rent there, but there are a lot of kids that come there and it's used by family. So right. what about, I should put, there's that. a second house. What's the use of the second house? 
The next, there's only one house. Okay. The others are just vacant property. One is vacant land, which is uh, you know is near a farm, and I like the farm to keep it from getting overgrown. That's seven acres near mm-hmm. the Mohawk River. Another one is down uh, uh, in a large homeowner association, but it's near the association's recreation properties. You can walk from the recreation properties onto my lot, and uh, uh, I don't want anyone doing anything there. And I'm wondering, those are both in personal name. Should I use the same LLC or something as I would for the rental property? Okay, a very common question because a lot of people have a rental house or, or some land that they inherited or maybe bought. I'm going to let Teresa handle that one. Yes. Yeah, so as we discussed before, you know, keeping that, uh, having those put into an LLC or two LLCs gives you a little bit of protection from liability. And you have different um, different liabilities with, with those properties. So I would suggest that the rental house have its own LLC because it has a much higher um, likelihood of something happening. Premises liability. Exactly. Primarily. Exactly. Right, right. And you've got, you know, different people there. You, you mentioned it was near school. So you, you, you just got a lot of different um, potential events that might happen there. Um, for the other two that are vacant, um, you know, you could certainly put those into one entity and have them both held by one entity. But again, I think the the protection from liability, even for those two properties, is probably worth the you know the cost of putting them into an LLC. Yeah, farming is one of the highest risk occupations in the country. A lot of accidents happen uh, on the farm. A lot of very complicated machinery. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually defended a case with an, uh, a huge auger. Uh, impaled a gentleman on a farm, and the farm owner got sued. Fortunately, that was held in a corporation. But the key is, if you hold those, even the vacant land, in an LLC, the only thing liable for that debt, provided you maintain the integrity of the company, and it's it, they can't pierce the corporate veil, as we talked about just a moment ago, provided you do all those things right, if they do sue because you're the landowner and there was some negligent condition on the land, they can only collect against the assets inside the LLC. They can't come back at your personal assets, can't come back at your home, your bank accounts, only the land inside the LLC. So then it becomes a matter of value. How much is that land worth? What's the value of the mm-hmm. land? And is it worth two LLCs? Or mm-hmm. you know, if one gets sued, each parcel is maybe worth $30,000. Let's put that at risk. I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, with with the uh, with the house, uh, it was it was uh, bought and mortgaged uh, as a business property, but in in, the, in this couple's name, my name, my my wife's name. Uh, do we have to re go through the process of getting the mortgage documents changed, or do we just put it into the LLC, file taxes as usual, but file taxes for the LLC separately? So a couple of questions you've asked there. The the first step you would if you transfer the property into an LLC. Your uh, bank very likely is going to want you to remortgage that in the LLC name. At the very least, they need to have notice that that's happening. But but most times, the bank will want a new mortgage from the LLC and then probably personal guarantees from you and your wife. But you're you're already personally liable for the for the debt, so that's not too much of a too much of a problem. Um, and I forgot your second question. Uh, in terms of. Was it tax liability? I know I mentioned something because uh, do I just take my tax loss carry forwards 
and transfer them to the new LLC. Right. So um, depending on how your LLCs are set up, assuming you're going to do them, if it's a single member LLC, anything, so if you're the only owner of that or, LLC. Or even you and your wife are owners. Okay. Then it's a partnership. But then it's a partnership. Same pass through. through. Yes. Everything passes through the LLC into your personal uh, tax return. So unlike a corporation, uh, a C-Corp, where there's entity level tax, so the corporation pays tax and then you pay tax on your profit from that corporation, in an LLC, everything flows through to your personal tax return. So there's... So, okay. You right. can take the losses personally, just right. like you do now. Right. And carry forwards don't change; they just uh, they just keep rolling. Correct. Through. Correct. Yep. All right. I think I think that's helpful. I think I'll see you at one of the seminars. So thanks very much, guys. Excellent. You're welcome. Thanks for thanks for calling, Bill. All right. We have Raj in Latham. Good morning, Raj. How can we help you this morning? Hi. Thanks. Thanks for taking my call. No problem. Um, I just have a question about. Uh, uh, earlier, you said about the minutes for the corporation, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So I have a S corporation, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, and then the company has uh, closed out and I've started a new one. Uh, so I am the only person in the company. So is it still the case that you have to maintain the minutes or uh, some kind of uh, move to... Uh, uh, so, so I just write myself all the uh, uh, agreements and approvals, and that uh, you know whatever I want, whatever I think best is for the uh, for me and for the uh, company. So it's 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 with the I just do a independent consulting, but it's an it's a corporation at this point. Right. Yeah. And and as silly as it might seem you still are required to have annual minutes and they can be as simple as you as the shareholder name you as the director and then you as the director name you as the president. And again, I know that seems silly, but having that record and just every year doing, you know, a piece of paper that says those three things and putting it into your book or having an online version of a corporate book, you know, it doesn't have to be the three wing notebook, but it has to be where you have it all together um, it can be as simple as that, but you are still required by New York State to have those annual meeting minutes. So very often what, what clients do, Raj, is they will hire a lawyer like us to do the first round to prepare all of the necessary documents for a, for a single year. And then they simply yeah. use those templates going right. forward to make sure that they're putting all the appropriate documents in place with all the clauses that they need, the resolutions, et cetera. So you may hire an attorney to do one year right. and, and then use that going forward as your template until your business changes. Until something changes, right. Okay. Uh, second part of my question is, um, uh, since I'm the only person in the company, uh, I know that for a fact that I, I do not need to have a workers' comp uh, for myself. Uh, although it's advantages, I know the advantages, but uh, uh, so I keep getting these letters that uh, you've not done this. So, uh, what's your suggestion on that? We get that question a lot, actually. And you're correct. If you are the only person in your company and, and the owner, obviously, you do not you are not required to have workers comp insurance. And I've had many, many insurance agents, Give me all of the reasons why it's in, it, 
is beneficial to have it anyway. Um, if you are using subcontractors, um, that's their biggest argument, is if you're using subcontractors who don't have their own insurance, your workers' comp could cover those subcontractors. Um, so it's really dependent on the specifics of your business and what you're doing. Um, I think you said you were a consultant, so if you're doing most of your work on your own and don't use uh, subcontractors, it, it probably makes sense for you not to have it. But again, it's a little bit uh, activity specific. All right. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks You're for welcome. the call, Raj. So I'm going to give you these two programs one more time. Then we're going to take a short break and come back and talk about how businesses change hands. What what do you do if you want to take in investment? You want to issue some shares of stock to someone? And what if you want to sell your business or transition it to family? We'll get into that in the closing seg segment of the show. But our Trust Administration Workshop is coming right up. So we do this quarterly, but the next one is this Wednesday, December 4th, 5.30 p.m. at Schuyler Meadows Country Club. Seating is limited, so you'll need a reservation, and you can make that reservation by logging into our website at purolaw.com. Go to events, and you can sign right up on the website, or again, our seminar hotline that you can call right now, 24-7-518-608-6998. Again, 608 699 Nine, eight. That's Wednesday, December 4th, 5.30 p.m., Trust Admin Workshop. And then our Medicaid Mondays. From the comfort of your own home, you can log in at noon on the second Monday of the month. And this, this month, it's December 9th. And we'll be talking about Medicaid's assisted living program and assisted living in the capital region. We're going to take a short break. We're here live in studio with Teresa Skane, talking all things corporate. If you want to call us on the show... We have time for a few more calls at 800-825-5949, and we will be right back after this short break. Welcome back to Life Happens. Are you prepared? Hopefully you will be if you listen to the show. I want to wish you a happy Small Business Saturday. I hope you're out there spending lots of money in the local economy and keeping it going. And right here on the radio, we're talking about business and how to form a business, how to set it up, what your considerations are in keeping track of the business, record-keeping, minutes, the corporate book. We've talked about all those things, a little bit about the taxation of your company and how it works, whether you're a corporation, an S-corp, a C-corp, all kinds of different entities, Teresa, that you can you can utilize, but at a certain point in time, if your business is doing well, you may need investment. So you may want to go out and bring shareholders in to help run your company, raise capital. And you may want to look at it and say, okay, I've built this business and now I want to either sell it or transition it. And there are different options for that. So let's start with the first one. How do people raise capital in a company? How do you go out and find investors? So probably the most common um, scenario for, for finding investors and raising capital is, um, you know, th there's the whole venture capital world. There's mezzanine financing through some lenders. But um, sort of stepping back a minute and structuring your company to attract an investor who, who doesn't necessarily want to become part of your company and vote on things and run a division or whatever it is. Strict investment, um, 
the the easiest way and most common way of doing that is creating a separate um, class of shares or interests if you have an LLC that are non-voting that somebody can put money into your company you can still run it they probably will get what's called a preference meaning they would get paid back before you take profit out of your company and that allows you to still run your business and have control but to have sort of a money flux coming in mm-hmm. and would that include angel investors sure sure so yes. the the first round for most people trying to you know start that company out of your garage right is friends and family yes yeah, so friends and family is an interesting, uh, a whole interesting topic we could probably do our own show on. <laughs> uh, friends and family investment is, to a large part, what I just described, an, a non-voting interest in your company. You can you can go out, talk to exactly what the, the name says, friends and family, up to a certain number of people and have them invest in your business um, without having to do any of the securities laws filings. Um, what we call blue sky laws, which are disclosures that have to go to certain investors. That's sort of the the first step in in looking for investors for your company. Kind of the second step, as Lou just mentioned, the angel, um, a little bit of the the VC world. And most uh, angel investors and VC investors are going to look to have. They actually prefer C corps for a lot of reasons. Um, I think lately the LLCs are becoming a little more popular for for that type of investment because you can do an operating agreement that does pretty much everything the c-corp does from an advantage perspective but has some of the pass-throughs that you might want early on exactly you know, when when businesses are losing money you want to take those losses personally right so very often the first two three four years of a business you're, you're investing and you want those losses to pass through but then with the new tax code mm. where corporations those c-corporations are only paying tax at 21 percent right other people, individuals pay tax at top rate of 37%. Right, right. And you do have some double tax issues, but you may want to have the C-Corp paying the tax in the growth phase of the business where you're starting to be profitable and you're, you're pouring money back in because then your earnings are only taxed at a much lower rate. Right, right. And that's the rationale behind the, the angel and, and VC type investors wanting a C-Corp So for, for that from that perspective. But at that point, when you're looking for those type of investments, your business has been around for a few years. You are you are showing uh, profitability t- to some extent. Right. You, you can be at what they call a pre-revenue company. Right. You're not, you're out there, you're making money. Right. But you're not making enough money to pay the bills. Right. So you're still pouring money in sure. to keep the business floating on a monthly basis. But then when you get to that crossover point mm-hmm. and you start to show profit and you have growth potential, that's when you go to the next level. Exactly. Exactly. And that's when you would bring in one of these types of investments that we're talking about. And again, structuring your company ahead of time before before you go talk to that type of investor is important because that shows a level of sophistication they're looking for so that they understand that you understand what kind of relationship you're going to have with them going forward. So you want a competent corporate counsel like Teresa to be with you at those meetings and and to explain to the investors how the legal structure operates and what, what the protections they're going to have will be for the capital. And if you're an investor, you want that attorney on, the, on right. that other side being very sharp. Sure. And knowing that they're, you're protected 
in terms of the capital that you're putting into the business. Absolutely. We, we in fact, just had a client who received an investment from a, a, a friend and family, I guess you would call it, although it was quite a, quite a large investment. Um, and the investor was also an attorney and does this for a living and was very happy that our client had us um, there to review the documents and knew what we were looking at. And it just made the whole process so much smoother than having someone who didn't understand the, the world of investment. And you can go out and borrow money too. So you have debt financing and then capital. So explain a little bit about the difference. So de debt financing is exactly what most people are used to, and it's receiving money, and then you have you know a, a note back to the, the lender. Sometimes it's secured by a mortgage. Sometimes it's secured by what we call a security agreement, which is a lien on all the, your business assets. Um, and that can happen, quite honestly, with investors as well. Some investors don't want a stake of your business. They want, uh, they want debt. They want a note back to them that they can charge interest on and make a little bit of money that way. And that there's less risk to them because they don't rely necessarily on the profitability of the business to get their money back. Right. So we have about two minutes left. And I just want to touch base on the various ways that you can look to exit the business. Because when you form it, you know, out in the garage, you're building whatever you're building. It finds a market. You're successful. You hire people. Your company grows. Where do you want to go with that company? Do you want to be with it forever? Do you want it to be an iconic brand and grow it into a Google? Or do you want to say, okay, I'm going to sell to Google right. or to Microsoft or to Apple. I want an exit strategy with a, with a corporate buyer or maybe a private equity fund. There's capital out there right now in the private equity markets that are a lot of it looking sure. for investment. Or I want to give it to my kids. So right. what, are, what are some of the things that people should be thinking about? Right. So that's what Lou actually said is just a, a great a thing to think about when you're maybe two years into your business. Where do I want to end up? And uh, direct, directing your business to one of those three or four or five different areas is important. If you're looking to sell to a larger company, that's a different way of structuring your business and, and doing business than if it's a family business and you're, and you're going to end up giving the business to your kids. Or the other is an ESOP. An yes. employee stock ownership plan where you can actually sell the business into your employees. And that has some very good tax advantages. It's a bit complicated. It but is. For the right business, that can be a very fruitful transaction. Definitely. And that's generally a little bit of a bigger business, you know, obviously with employees who can mm -hmm. be part of the ESOP. Usually the rule of thumb is 30 employees or mm -hmm. more right. to ESOP. Right, right, exactly. So, again, depending on the size uh, you know, transfer to kids is about the same uh, mindset as an ESOP, just different buyers. So we're winding down on time. My favorite is bringing the kids in, having that family meeting, sitting down and starting to vest them with some appreciation rights. Mm. And that's something we've been doing more and more frequently. Right, right. So that what that does is you, again, you value the business at a certain point in time when you bring your kids in, and then they gain from any appreciation that the business has while they're part of the company. And that motivates them and incents them Absolutely. to work harder because they know that they're going to get some of the benefit from that growth. Exactly. Teresa, thank you for joining us for this hour. I thank think we'll you. have you back. Thank you. This has been fun. I'm Lou Piero, your host, Teresa Skane from Piero, Connor & Strauss. We hope you have a wonderful week. We look forward to seeing you next week here on the radio. We'll be back then.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.